the first time ever, two all-new films, two legendary battles, Hulk versus Wolverine, Hulk versus Thor, are coming together on DVD. Hulk versus First, the unstoppable monster takes on the ultimate mutant. I don't suppose you got any interest in talking this out. Wakey, wakey time. Weapon X is pleased to have you back, Logan. We missed you. What do you want with the Hulk? The same thing we wanted with you. Let's dance. Little man. Hey, I'm on your side, you flaming idiot. Hulk versus Wolverine. Then the Hulk must face the God of Thunder. This is no immortal evil that we face now. You don't know the destruction the Hulk can cause. I'm counting on it. Why have you come here? And so begins the end of Thor. For Asgard! Hulk versus Thor. Hulk smash! Hulk versus now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Okay, Bob. Let's try that again. Chama people, and welcome to our 208th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, Dijanek, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Oh, you know me, I can't complain. I got the... uh as I j- joked to my friends, I got the face for radio and the voice for silent films. <laughs> well, you, you definitely have the voice for podcasting. I will say that. But uh, today, of course, speaking of voices and powerful voices at that, today we are discussing Hulk versus, which is actually a double feature comprising, of course, Hulk versus Thor and Hulk versus Wolverine. This was, of course, from 2009. Both were directed by Sam Liu, while the screenplay for Hulk versus Thor was by Christopher Yost and Hulk vs. Wolverine was by Craig Kyle, while the score for both was by Guy Michael Moore. So I guess uh, since we do have these kind of short movies, if you will, Keith, uh, starting, I guess, with uh, Hulk vs. Thor, what were your general impressions on this one? And I believe you actually own these two on DVD or Blu-ray. I, I do. I, I bought this one because I, I am a Hulk fan in most iterations, not all of them, but in most cases, I am a very big Hulk fan. Uh, it was a very weird story. I liked it, but it definitely had some time to grow. Because when you when it first starts, you're kind of like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, why? Like, how do we get here? Because they start with this big expedition about Odin and this battle that happens in Asgard every year. And you're kind of like, okay, where are we going with this? And then they finally get you on the story with Loki and all his shenanigans, and you're like, oh, okay. And once it happens, like once it starts, it's very much a snowball that just goes rolling downhill at about 110 miles an hour. And it's just straight, you know, just action packed. And even when there are lulls in the story, they're there for a reason. It's one of those things that it's kind of a break from the crazy and it moves the story along to kind of get you the next big thing that's going on i I will say all things being considered this was i think like 45 minutes or something to that effect it was relatively well paced written shockingly well for an an animated short and animation style was i enjoyed i actually liked the artwork style from both thor and wolverine episodes um it was very done very well and i liked the voice cast so all things being considered it was a, a a fun watch can't complain too much, you know, again, because it's only 45 minutes. If this were like a two-hour movie, I could probably find some more things to pick apart. But all things being considered, very enjoyable. Like I said, I own the movie. I've watched it several times. So to watch it again for today's episode was no, you know, not a problem. I enjoyed it. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll just put it on. I knew all the beats. So it was just kind of a nice little refresh. 
Interesting that you say that because uh, I think when it comes to the writing, we'll definitely see quite a diversion and difference when it comes to Hulk versus Thor and Hulk versus Wolverine. And I do think, spoilers here, that uh, Christopher Yost actually comes out the winner between him and Craig Kyle. Craig Kyle being the guy who wrote Hulk versus Wolverine, but more on that later. I do think compared to the two stories, Hulk versus Thor definitely has much more meat on its bones in the sense Agreed. that, like you said, you know, you... You're, you're kind of world building to a certain extent because I'm thinking for somebody who maybe has no clue what is going on, the concept of the Odin sleep, the concept of Asgard, etc. It can be a little bit disorienting of how did we get here? And, you know, even looking at the previous movies that we that we've done of the Marvel animated ones prior to this one, we didn't really get much. So I'm thinking either this is coming off of um, uh, an actual TV show, if you will, rather than the movies, because, of course, we discussed the two uh, Ultimate Avengers films. And uh, then, of course, we've done the Iron Man, etc. But it was more within the, um, uh, should we say, Ultimate Universe. I did enjoy the pacing, like you were saying. I was kind of a little bit worried at first when it came to these two movies, whether it would just be one big slugfest with zero story. When it came to Hulk versus Thor, I think uh, we definitely got a lot of story, and it was kind of cool seeing, like you said, um, these two these two titans kind of meeting, and what would happen if they met, and you know the kind of conversations that should we say, uh, n you know, comic book nerds and stuff would have in the playground. That if Hulk and Thor met, who would win if they had a fight? And this is kind of somewhat the idea. Granted, here it's not Hulk, but it's kind of Hulk being uh, possessed, if you will, by Loki. But I did like that, and I like the fact that we got a lot of changes in locations. We went from Asgard literally to hell, and, and all that concept, I really, really enjoyed it. It's like, what is going to happen now in order to, to save the world and Hulk being separated from Banner? How is that going to change things? And the fact that almost you get Thor and Loki having to work together, and especially these versions of Thor and Loki who completely hate each other, and Loki hating Thor even more so. It was interesting seeing the kind of... um should we say, um, the, the, the kind of deals they had to strike and just sort of reach this agreement. So I, I found it was very enjoyable indeed. I really, really liked this one. I said great, great storytelling for just 45 minutes of film. So getting to our characters on the board, granted there aren't that many to talk about because it's a very short movie, but looking at, let's start off by looking at our green guy, of course, and the God of Thunder. We have, of course, Bryce Johnson and Fred Tatashore as Bruce Banner and Hulk, and Matthew Wolfe as Thor. So what did you make of our titular characters, Keith? I will say between the two movies, I think Banner's writing was better as a character in this one opposed to Hulk versus Wolverine. In this one, he isn't quite the sniveling, oh my God, you're going to hurt me, blah, blah, blah. He's just like, you guys don't know what you're doing. He's trying to be the voice of reason and the little that we get of him in here there's a reason for it there's a purpose even with spoilers when he gets killed he's trying to be like listen i'm the guardrails You're, you've now unleashed this force of nature upon your world that you have no way of controlling and look he's like Psh, whatever and just often murders banner and even then you know when we see banner he is in hell He's in his happy place. He actually has a family. He has a wife and kids. Again, spoilers. Um, he actually looks genuinely happy. And that lasts all of like 3.5 seconds because Thor and Loki now have to go pull his soul back from hell because they need him anchored to the Hulk because they have discovered that the Hulk is pretty much unstoppable and unkillable. He is, again, for lack of a better term, a force of nature. He's the immovable object and Thor is the, you know, immovable force. So they just keep clashing. And when push comes to shove, Loki realizes that the Hulk really needs Banner to keep him in check. Otherwise he lays waste to everything. So it was kind of nice to see this Banner holding his own for a lack of a better term, where he's trying to explain to Loki, be the voice of reason, not, the sniveling, don't touch me, I'm going to do bad things if I get hurt, and the Hulk, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. So it, it kind of worked for this instance. And the same thing with Thor. He wasn't the arrogant Thor that we have saw in some of the uh, early representations of him. Like, yes, he is still boisterous, but he's not arrogant. And those are that is a difference. 
Um, I, I did like the fact that, you know, he does try to even, since he is quote unquote friends with Thor, he, or I'm sorry, Thor with the Hulk, he tries to talk him down like, Hey friend, and what are you doing? Why is this happening? Yada, yada, yada. So he's trying to kind of, again, reason with the Hulk because he and the Hulk have a history together. So they, he assumes that something's going on and rightfully so two seconds after the Hulk punches him in the face, Loki says something to him and you're like, well, way to ruin the surprise there champ. So and he realizes very quickly that he's now fighting Loki in Thor in Hulk's body, but he doesn't know how he got there. And he has to kind of, you know, expunge him from him and Thor knowing Hulk knows he can take a crap ton of punishment unleashes you know the full force upon him a giant lightning bolt strikes him down and severs the connection unfortunately that now makes him a raging beast of destruction that they have to try to figure out how to reel back in and at this point he then has to seek the help of his brother not i want to say seek the help of force would be more of a <laughs> proper term force his brother to go with him to hell and get banner back so all of that, you know, you get that weird dynamic between you see the brotherly hate because Loki hates Thor as I would say he's more vengeful in this one than pretty much any other instance we've ever seen him. Um, and you kind of see the gloves come off with this iteration of him. So I, I think with the writing, how they did this and how they um, positioned Hulk and Thor, they did a really good job. I think so too. And I love the fact, like you said, that in this particular instance, we learn how crucial it is that Banner and Hulk be one in the sense that, like you said, Banner is very much, very much Hulk's conscience, even though in this case, when obviously he hulks out, even though he is still sort of a, you know, more on the savage, uncontrollable side, there is something that will kind of pull him back at some point if things really get out of control. And I really like they they highlighted that when it came to this situation. Also, at the same time, the fact of Banner himself realizing this, because even when they are separated, and like you said, Banner ends up in hell and he has this kind of fantasy going on where he's married to Betty and they have a kid and stuff, and he he feels relief. And he feels freedom at last because, like, I'm free of this beast. And even though I'm dead, apparently, I now have a family and don't have to worry about anything anymore. But then, you know, it kind of, I guess, it shows you the realization that he has to be there because I, it maybe I think highlights uh, Banner's self selflessness that he has to be put aside this happy this happy moment to to go back and be with the Hulk again. Granted. His dreamlike situation is kind of interrupted by Hela. Because you wonder whether, if, had she not interrupted, whether he would have not given anything a second thought and would have just enjoyed the fantasy that he was kind of being subjected to. It's kind of like Hela saying, "Hate to spoil your fun, bro, but you got to come back here and do something about this." So, so you do wonder. And that's when he's like, "Oh yeah, I guess I have to help out because they, you know there's still people up up there living, and they kind of don't want to be killed by by Hulk." And when it came to Thor, I that's something else I very much agree with you with is, you know, because obviously at the front of my mind, there is the MCU version of, of Thor, who tends to be much more, uh, much, much more bravado, much more arrogant and so on, much more full of himself. He here is he is very much that Norse hero that we have read about in Norse mythology, where, of course, being a warrior, there will be some sass to him. But that's to be expected when it comes to being a, a mythological hero. I mean, you think of even folks like Hercules or any other folks like these, they do have, they're more humble possibly, but they also realize that Conan, perfect example, they know they're strong. But here's, there's more, I think there's more nobility to Thor in this case. He's like, I have to save Asgard. I will sacrifice myself. He tells Sif, who apparently he is in and out of a relationship with, like if something happens to me, you have to defend Asgard. So, I did like that nobility and I did like that very much heroic, if you will, side of him, more classic hero, which I thought was great. And then, yeah, the fact of having to begrudgingly talk to Loki and say, this is beyond us. Nobody wins if the Hulk is allowed to go rampant. Also, what I enjoyed is Thor almost seemingly dies in this in this movie. As in he was close. He, yeah, because when he's literally lying there, we see a shadow. 
And it seems like it might be Hela come to claim him, but then it turns out they're Samora. But you're like, wow, you know, he was literally between life and death. So the stakes are really high here. And I and I really enjoyed that. It's not just, oh, we're going to uh, punch each other a little bit and then that'll be that. Here, of course, you have Hulk being possessed. So it is a battle to the death. So I really, really dug that. And yeah, uh, great performances by both uh, by our three gentlemen, Bryce Johnson, Fred Tatashore and Matthew Wolf. So uh I definitely have good things to say about them. So getting to our villains in this short film, of course, we do have, as we mentioned, Graham McTavish as Loki, Carrie Walgren as Amora, and Janice Jord as Hela. So what did you make of our villains, if you will? It was very interesting to see the three of them because Hela was like the neutral evil, if that could be a thing. You know, she hates Loki and Thor. So she's just more of a, you know, a, a spiteful person. She doesn't necessarily care who, because obviously she takes Loki's soul at the end of the, the movie to hold on to it because she needs some sort of repayment for letting Banner out. So again, she is spiteful. She could have taken Thor's soul and she doesn't. She's like, you know what? I'm going to take yours and does that. And she blocks him away. She freezes him or whatever the case may be. So she is evil to an extent but like a neutral evil like she's just evil to everybody good and evil she's the evil for evil and evil for good if that's potentially a thing um her even her banter between them she says something to thor to the effect of like you were literally on my doorstep and you were robbed from me i I will get you again and thor kind of laughs it off and flies away not realizing that he was literally like seconds minutes whatever from death and he just assumed like she's full of crap because that split second you do see um Hella there before it flips over to what's her face. And it was kind of an interesting, like, is he gonna die? Because he has died in the comic books a handful of times and he does come back and you know, he gets resurrected numerous times. This guy's got more life than a cat. So it, it was, you know, good to see that and Loki is just straight up evil in this one. There's no like, oh, he's just being mischievous. No, he is literally trying to kill Odin. Like he has said it on no uncertain terms. He's like, I'm going to murder Thor. I'm going to kill Odin and we're done. Like that was not even like a, maybe he will, maybe he won't, maybe he'll turn up. Nope. There is not. He literally killed Banner just on a whim. He's like, F you, I don't need you anymore. Poof, dead. So that just goes to show you that he has no qualms with killing anybody. So the fact that you know, he killed Banner on a whim, and he was glad to see Thor almost dead. Just kind of shows you his mental state. Like he's, you know, by hook or by crook, I'm going to get, you know, this throne because he thinks if he kills everybody in his path, he will become king of Asgard. Um, and then uh, Aurora, she's more like the jaded love interest, and she even says as much. So she does a lot of this out of spite. And then as she sees the Hulk beating Thor to within an inch of her life, has that realization like, oh, I have made a mistake. And here, let me try to rectify that. And she does. She goes and heals Thor. And she even goes and um, defends Odin in his Odin sleep. So she's more of the, you know, meant, not when I can say meant well, because clearly she didn't, um, realized that she has made mistakes and she's trying to turn over a new leaf. And she even admits as much that like, okay, I kind of did a bad thing and here, let me help. So all in all, I I think to see the three of them together, they're actually very much representations of themselves in different instances in the comic books. And weirdly all wearing green. I don't know what that theme is. It's that black and green theme. All of them had it. I don't know why the bad people have green and the good people have blue. It's a weird observation I just noticed in the Thor stories. But yes, Loki's wearing green. She's wearing green. Hell is wearing green. Almost weirdly like like they're part of the same house in Hogwarts. Like they're all Slytherin. And Thor's like, you know, Hufflepuff because he's a little, you know, boasters and whatnot. So yeah, it just was one of those kind of crazy observations. And again, the Hulk is green. So the fact that I don't know what they have this thing with green in this series. But yeah, in, in this one instance, it just... They all had that common theme. So it was kind of weird to watch. 
It was. I mean, but then again, I guess Marvel has often done this color coding with characters. I mean, you think of also their use of purple and red when it comes to villains. A lot of villains tend to have purple and red, at least in the classics. You think of Magneto, you think of even Kang, you think of others. There was a lot of either purple going on or red going on when it came to these these characters. So I guess it's almost like a like you know like you astutely put maybe it's a, either it's a color coding thing or it's like yeah you guys are team a team Loki. I made you matching uniforms so we can all look like team Loki. Granted, in this iteration, unlike the MCU and maybe folks coming off the MCU might be a little bit confused to seeing Hela like this. Loki refers to Hela as his daughter where it's curious because that is obviously right straight out of Norse mythology because Hela was one of Loki's multiple children. Heck, he even gave birth to a horse, but that's a story for another time. It's a horse of another color. (laughs) Well played. So it was, and here you can tell that they somewhat look related in the sense, you know, the dark hair and everything else. But I agree with you. Hela, I don't, maybe is not necessarily evil in the sense that she's evil. She is like Satan, for example, or even uh, Pluto from the, uh, the Greek underworld, in the sense that they, they govern a realm and they take souls that die who don't go to either the Elysian fields or to paradise or to Valhalla. And so it's like, these are my souls, you know, Hades, you know, same things like these are my souls. You can't take them away. And, and I don't think she ever does anything sort of out of malice, if you will. It's just, this is my job. So this is how I'm going to do it. And it helps, of course, that she is kind of gloom and doom and stuff because, you know, heck, she's the goddess of the underworld. So, so she kind of has to have that conversation. She can't be, hi, welcome to the underworld. How can I help you out? Or welcome to hell, even more so. So, yeah, there is something more of almost like a judge, if you will, where these are the rules and this is how we do it. Hence the fact, like you said, of Banner being set free. And she is very, very loath to setting Banner free. She's like, he's mine. He died. Those are the rules. Says so like almost a soul for a soul. And she doesn't really have any qualms whose soul it is, as long as there is a soul there to kind of equal things up. And even if it's her dad, she's like, eh, you know, I, I'm going to take him. Even though she done let, then lets on saying he'll he'll uh, be out of here eventually. So Hella kind of comes out loser in this because she is going to ultimately lose a soul because she even says, you know, Loki's not going to be here long. So, but he's going to be spending, I think, a significant amount of time there. When it came to Loki, this, I think, could definitely be a big shock for folks who are familiar with Tom Hiddleston's MCU version, who has had quite this transformation over the course of the the MCU. First, he was kind of more mischievous and evil, and then he's like a sympathetic character. Here, you can have zero sympathy for Loki. I was personally also shocked because it's been a while since I've read the comics, and I'd forgotten how evil Loki actually is. And Graham McTavish really brought out the utter villainy and sadism of this guy. He does not matter, doesn't matter what gets in his way, as long as he gets his way, even if it means killing his own brother. You can see how much he hates Thor. You get it in the MCU, but here it's like a burning hot hatred where he literally wants to kill him. I'm like, wow, you know, dude, this is, this is, this is intense. So uh, I really appreciate that. And then the fact that then goes all kind of sniveling where he's like, oh, I'm going to lose stuff and this, this is going to be a problem. Oh, no. So he, he does go from very cocky evil. It's like, save me. So I, so I appreciate that. Amora, I agree with you. She is very much that scorned lover. She's doing this because Thor is with Sif and, not because, and he's, he's not with her, even though Thor seems to be having something with Amora as well. So I think Amora is more mad at Sif than she is at Thor because, you know, like you said, when he's near death, she gives him kind of the kiss of life and she calls him my, you know, my love and everything. And he kisses her back. So I think she, because you can see when she has to go and help Sif, she's, she does not want to do this because that is the third woman. She's like, this is the chick that kind of stole my man. Granted, kind of don't, we don't really know the backstory of how did it work as in, was Thor dating Sif and, ha- and Amora was on the side. And it's kind of like, so when are you going to be leaving Sif kind of thing? You know, but we, we never didn't know the backstory. But it seems like she sees Sif as being the third woman. And she's like, it was the third party in their relationship. And so she's doing it purely out of spite. And then she's like, oh, my God, Thor's are going to actually die. Uh, I better change strategy here and better change my allegiances. So, yeah, it's more, the, like you said, the spurned lover. 
and it is decently balanced, I will say, for the most part, even though you can probably you probably think that Amora might switch again if Thor and Sif carry on as a couple. Right, no, I agree with you with that. I feel like that's one of these things that since these gods are so long lived that they change partners. I'm not going to say on a regular basis, but fairly frequently. So this could be the ex-girlfriend kind of scenario or just a potential crush interest that you know, like just didn't work out. Like, you know, you have that girlfriend in high school, your first crush, and that's kind of that vibe, but like the first crush never gets over it. So she goes from like first crush to single white female level crazy and then realizes how crazy she is and then kind of turns the page as it were and then goes, okay, I need to kind of fix my mistakes. I agree. And did, did you think that the, did you like the, um, I mean, I think the costumes and stuff was straight out of the comics, if memory serves, because no surprise, especially Amora wearing very skimpy kind of clothing. I'm like, I wonder whether kids should be watching this, but you know, um, because they did make sure, I mean, it wasn't objectifying her excessively when it came to the, came to the camera work. They objectified the female characters more in the Avengers TV show. I oh, watched yeah. it. And there's so many times when, you know, they will, of course, accentuate, you know, the, the woman from behind or the bust and what have you. I'm like, yeah, she's wearing skimpy clothing because she is the enchantress. So it makes sense. So maybe it's not overly sexualized, but I wonder whether maybe she was a little too underdressed. I don't know. I mean, I was, I was cool with it, but I don't know if kids should be watching this, to be honest. No. Even though, you know, even though there wasn't too much to say sexual overtones in it, but I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what the Enchantress looks like in the comics. So, okay, fair enough. Um, so, did you have anything else you wanted to to mention on this first um, first uh, Hulk adventure, Keith? The first of two. Um, I I will say personally, I think this is, and I will agree with you, this is the better of the two stories. I I definitely think so too. Um, so what? So so rating this one, what would you give it out of ten? Ooh. We're going to read each individually. Yes, um, indeed. I, I think I'm actually going to go a little high on this one. I think I'm going to give it an eight because it's a, it's a fun watch. It's well written. It's very self contained. It gives you pretty much everything you more or less need to know about the characters all within this, and they give you enough breadcrumbs to kind of, I'm sorry, breadcrumbs to fill in the blanks yourself. So you don't necessarily have to be like, I need you to draw me a line from here to here so I can figure this out. You're just like. Oh, she's a pissed off ex-girlfriend and he's a pissed off brother and they're going to go beat his ass. All right, cool. We're good. Go. So I, I, I think all in all, it's a, it's a solid story. I'm right there with you. I'm also going to give us an eight out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed it and kind of wanted more. And I guess we'll see when it comes to the Marvel animated universe, if this goes anywhere or whether it's just a self-contained story. But regardless, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it myself. So let's get to our second short movie. We have, of course, Hulk versus Wolverine. So when it came to your general thoughts on this one, I know you, I believe you guys, you actually covered this comic on, on your other podcast, but what, what did you make of this one? Um, it was interesting because this was a modernization of the first appearance of, I believe, Wolverine from the comics from way the hell back when. So it was interesting that they, they took that story and kind of tried to copy and paste it and add some fluff to it. So I don't know. It was an interesting watch. Too much yelling, but that's because the characters are very feral. That would be my only gripe is just like all the screaming. They're always like every scene's like, raw, 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 smash, raw. And you're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. See, I'm still not 100%, guys. Um, all that yelling was definitely kind of, you know, gets a little old, per se, because obviously the Hulk doesn't have a lot of dialogue until kind of the end of the episode. But for what they were trying to accomplish, and this actually had so much potential setup for a lot of stories that came out in the, the early 2000s and current, you know, mid 2000s, like X23, Weapon H some other you know weapons um x stories and so on and so forth so it was kind of a if you have no idea who some of these characters were like you might know who hulk is but you somehow have been under a rock and don't know who wolverine is here's wolverine's origin this is the group that did this stuff to him 
we're going to kind of make it a little more kid-friendly opposed to, say, the X-Men movie, where that was just all kinds of brutal. And then we're going to throw in a bunch of extra characters that we're not going to explain at all. We have Weapon Omega, which is a Russian spy. doesn't make any sense. Uh, you have Sabretooth, which is Logan's brother, which does make sense because he was part of that Weapon X program. Um, Lady Deathstrike, Japanese, had no business being in this program. And then Deadpool, who is another um, product of the Weapon H program. So it was just very weird. Like these characters, they smashed together to get to this point. Just some of it made sense. And then some of it was just really weird choices. Like somebody's like, hey, I've never seen this character on anything before. Let's put her in here. Or the last time we saw them was XYZ or, you know, so on and so forth. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. And they used them very much as a plot device to get um, the Hulk to Canada. And this is definitely pre prior to the X-Men days because uh, Wolverine is still part of the uh, Weapon H uh, program. And they call him in because he's, you know, the best there is at what he does, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he tracks the Hulk and they just go straight at it. There's just no holding back. Two minutes to him running in the banner, he just starts beating on the Hulk and they just go at it. And I, I kind of was disappointed by how easily the Hulk was taken down with like, what is it, like 287 tranquilizer darts or something stupid. And then Wolverine's taken down by like three. I'm like, wait, Wolverine's supposed to have this like crazy healing factor that makes him immune to a lot of stuff. I would have hoped that it would be more than like four tranquilizer darts, all things being considered. But, you know, it is what it is, and they had to put him down somehow. I would have liked to seen like a thousand of them get at Hulk and like a thousand of them at Wolverine, and then Deadpool sitting there giggling because he just, you know, basically tranked Wolverine to within an inch of his life. And then, you know, we cut to the Weapon H facility, or I'm sorry, the Weapon X facility, and we just get the all the, the weird exposition about the different stories and yada, 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 and so on and so forth. So it, it all things being considered, it was a very short story, but it's almost like it was a little too long, if that makes any sense. They could have cut even a little bit more, like with them going after like uh, Lady Deathstrike trying to kill Wolverine. Like, all right. You tried to kill him once, and then you tried to kill him a second time. You're telling me nobody was put on high alert when she tried to kill him the first time? Like, he's just hanging out in this thing, and we're, we're good to go. We're cool. And that that's fine. No big deal. And then they kill the lead scientist for the Weapon X program, which is weird, because that guy's been killed like 15 or 20 times, so I feel like he should be a clone of a clone by now. But, you know, it is what it is. He, he had this weird claw hand going on there. I'm like, you're, you're telling me you're the leader of the most advanced weaponized program ever known to man and all you get is this weird claw thing? I'm like, I, I would have imagined like a full android hand so he could do all these weird experiments, but nope. Opportunity missed. So I, I think some of the some of the saving graces to this one were the battles. The story was very thin. Again, there's a, a scene where they have a bunch of clones in a tube and they stop and pan at X-23 and you're like, ooh, I know who this one is. And then like, that's it. Nothing happens after that. Like, you just literally like, and we move on. Like, why, why did you tell me that they've made, I think it was like 47 clones or some crazy number. You're like, well, why did I need to know this? So, you know, th there was a lot of potential or untapped opportunities that if they hypothetically were to ever make a second one they could have kind of pulled from yeah because apparently from what i learned this was a supposed to was a backdoor pilot for wolverine in the x-men i have, will admit i completely ignored the existence of the, the show wolverine and the x-men so i might have to check it out at some point because being a big x-men fan i loved the series from the 90s so i kind of want to see what this one's like and and it's very true this is a very threadbare story, but also at the same time, I can get maybe why they threw in a couple of other people because like, do we want to just watch Hulk and uh, Wolverine duke it out for 30 minutes? 
and really yes. not have much else going. Okay, well, there you go. So, I mean, it could have just been one big slugfest, and I believe that's what it is in the comics when Hulk and Wolverine meet. It's all just beating each other up for the whole issue. Pretty much. And even when they did it in the Ultimate Universe, Hulk literally rips Wolverine in half because while his bones are unbreakable, his ligaments are not. So he literally just rips him in half and throws him in two different directions, and it takes him... I forgot however long to heal because he has to go find his legs. So <laughs> that that's a thing that actually literally happens that not that I want to see it that, you know, grotesquely done, but they they could have kind of, you know, ratcheted up the, the um crazy as it were. What was curious, I thought also about this particular this, this second uh, episode was it reminded me of when you used to play Mortal Kombat, the censored version, and then you turned on the blood. Because yeah. when it came to Hulk versus Thor, no blood whatsoever. Here, they went to town with it. You've got guts and blood and all sorts of stuff going on. I'm like, okay, I guess they, they typed in the, the, the blood code like they did in Mortal Kombat. Because in, in, the, in the Hulk versus Thor, neither Hulk nor Thor bleed. I get they have super hot, tough skin, but you would probably have seen them bleed at one point. But they did not bleed one drop of blood. Here, all over the place. Thor was bleeding, Hulk was bleeding, uh, Lady Deathstrike was being had her arms torn off. Of course, the Deadpool gets, gets blown to pieces. All sorts of, of violence in this one. Very much more violent, if you will, than the first one, which I thought was a cure, an interesting choice. And yeah, I mean, I was kind of scratching my head going, why do we need these Weapon X clowns in this show? Because they were getting, and I'll talk more about them when we get to them, but they were really the more uninteresting part of the story because i'm like this is supposed mm -hmm. to be hulk versus wolverine why are we getting wolverine's origins my only thought would be because we don't have enough of a story to to fill up 30 minutes so we have to do something creative in this sense also banner is barely in this he's like in this for two minutes and then it's just rah, rah, and yeah the screaming contest was kind of getting on my nerves. It sounded like watching two tennis players on steroids having a screaming match while shooting, you know, while exchanging, uh, you know, uh, hits during a during a tennis game. So it was getting a little bit annoying to the point where I almost had to turn down the sound because I'm like, this is really not good. Going I had the same exact problem. I had to turn it down because the, the yelling was just to the umpteenth degree. I'm like, all right, all right this is. I even I think I muted at one point just because. They were just growling at each other for a solid like two minutes. And then the one time you see Banner, he's like, no, I can't Hulk out because they gave me a sedative. And then Wolverine stabs him right in the chest. I'm like, well, that's one way to piss him off. Yeah. So that was the that was the thing with this one. It's just that it was very a very threadbare story. And of course, once everything's said and done and the lab's blown up, they go at it again. And it's like, this 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 uh, movie doesn't really have a resolution. It's just like okay, they're going to be fighting forever, and that's just how it's going to be. Peace out. So I found also the ending rather unsatisfying in that sense. Because like, okay, you've kind of stormed the castle together, if you will, and then you're just going to go back to beating the crap out of each other. Fine, pretty much. But I, I was just like, no, this is this is. Uh, it was not. It was very much weaker compared to its uh, to Asgardian counterpart. So I guess then looking once again at our, our brief group characters, uh, of course, I guess we can start off with our titular ones. Once again, Bryce Johnson and Fred Tatashore taking on Bruce Banner Hulk. And in this case, we had Stephen Blum as Wolverine. So what did you make of our, of our protagonists in this one? Um, with Wolverine being, you know, Wolverine, he, the way they wrote him, definitely tell this was pre-X-Men days. So it wasn't really kind of a, a big surprise. The voice actor they got for him, he does do the cartoon. Um, I think it's X-Men Evolution or X-Men of the Wolverine. One of the two. He might have actually done both. So I'm familiar with him as Wolverine. He does a very good, really good job of being the Wolverine voice and the cartoon representation of Wolverine. If Hugh Jackman's the live action, he is the cartoon uh, representation. For you know what he has to say, you know Wolverine is very much like I. Don't say a lot, but when I do, you know, whatever it has to be said, and, and I'm a man of action opposed to words. So he literally, I think, he has like what, like ten lines in the entire movie, maybe twelve if you're lucky. So and Bob and the, is always in it. He always says, right, exactly. 
Exactly. I was going to say, and I think nine of the ten, 12 lines are bub. And so he's bub this, bub that, you bub, like, uh, okay, like that. That kind of got a little old, you know, him calling everybody bub. I, I get it. He does call certain people bub, but literally everyone was bub. Hey, bub, what are you doing? Hey, bub, what's up with that? Hey, bub. I was like, dude, you don't notice it on like the first go around, but I've seen it so many times. You're like, I could almost do a drinking game to how many times he says bub. And I'd be hammered by the end of the episode. And it's only 30 odd minutes long movie. So it's not like it's a super long movie. Um, so again, it, it, it's good enough. You know, he he's the writing is very shallow. We're not expecting, you know, all this kind of, you know, great storytelling. They took a little bit of his origin. They kind of retold it again, because again, it's almost like Batman. If you have Wolverine on screen, you have to tell the origin story again, because somehow nobody knows this and we've only been told about Wolverine origin story like I don't know 50 or 60 times at this point because I think in every cartoon he's been in there's an origin story of Wolverine episode and it's always the same you know to varying degrees of um, graphicness but again it's something has to we have to talk about Wolverine's origin it's just it's a thing I think it's in his contract I don't know but yeah it's another one of those hey we, we tortured him we we you know, injected this stuff into him. He's now this guy, and we're gonna do. We're not gonna tell you what we're gonna do with the Hulk, but there's gonna be a thing we're gonna do with him, maybe eventually. But he's gonna get broken out too soon, so nothing's gonna happen. So it was just very anticlimactic. The fact that the Weapon X program is chasing Hulk, and when they finally catch him, they have him locked up for I don't know a day, maybe two, and then he's broken out. You're like, so you you guys literally leveled half of Canada for. 20 minutes of captivity like i don't really quite understand that train of thought so i will say that i did not like this banner this banner was very much the meek and don't touch me i could hurt you you know screaming crying everything all the time and i'm just like Ugh. he was never this bad even in the tv series the live action like he would pretend to be the feeble banner just so nobody would bother him but you know when push came to shove he'd be like all right, you're going to poke the bear and this is what's going to happen. Here it was like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Ah, leave me alone. I'm, I'm going to go run and cry and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, dude, seriously? Whatever. Fine. Um, and then you come to find out that Hulk actually was trying to save people. And that's what triggered this whole chain of events because they show you in a flashback that, again, the uh, Weapon X crew is chase has been chasing him for weeks. Why they decide to start chasing him now opposed to whenever, you know, whatever prior, previous point, who knows, but they just, you know, randomly were like, hey, it's Tuesday, let's go chase the Hulk. All right, let's go. Like, they had nothing better going on. I, I love that concept. I almost wonder whether it would have worked better had it been Alpha Flight and not the Weapon X crew, as in, yes, you know, Wolverine's old buddies show up from Alpha Flight saying, we'll help you take on the Hulk. That would have been maybe more of a, make more of a, Thor, Wolverine versus Hulk centric story, as in Wolverine is kind of down, and then out of nowhere, the the um, the Alpha Flight crew shows up. Yeah, which would have made perfect sense because at one point, I think this might have even still been part of his Alpha Flight days because he was a team member of theirs. If they were to show up, you would have been like, "Oh, I get it. He could be tracking Hulk in Canada for whatever arbitrary reason, but then have Alpha Flight show up and." You know, save the day for a lack of a better term, and then we're like, oh, okay, we're cool because again, I like Alpha Flight. I I, I don't think they have had enough um, appearances in the comic books and in um, the TV series. Is they sh they pop up from time to time for like an episode or two, but there's not really a, a, a deep dive explanation into who these characters are, other than they're the Canadian Avengers. Go, and you're like, all right, we're just gonna leave it at that. And like that's it. That's all they ever explain themselves as. Like, we're the Canadian Avengers. Like, so does that mean you're just nice to people before you beat them up? Like, how, how the hell's the difference? You talk with your every time you're like Alpha Flight Assembly, eh? and you're like, how does this? I like, I don't. There's no real like difference. Like, I don't you beat everybody up with hockey sticks. I like, come on. I mean, they do have a character Sasquatch, which is actually a really cool character. I wish they would um, explore more of. And because Shaman. He, I love Shaman. True. Shaman and, and Sasquatch. Because in the Immortal Hulk, you find that Sasquatch is like Hulk, where he's an immortal being because of his exposure to the gamma radiation. So 
that would have been a cool a lot of potential like they could have flushed out so many more characters if they had done alpha flight instead of these four crappy people that probably most people didn't know who they were until they were like hey this is deadpool and hey that's Sabretooth. like i know those two these two i don't know who they are they might explain it i agree I mean, I wonder where the MCU will ever introduce Alpha Flight. Granted, we have so many characters right now; it probably would be overkill if they if they introduced Alpha Flight as well. Seeing as we're mm-hmm. still trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do with the Eternals at this point, and everybody else that's flying around the universe. I was actually was making a head count the other day of how many characters they're out there. So. I'm not saying do it, MCU, but maybe later down the line, you might want to consider doing something with Alpha Flight. Also depends who owns the rights to the Alpha Flight characters. There is also that to consider. True. That's, that said, um, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you because, yeah, this once again, this is supposed to be Hulk versus Wolverine, and it's more Wolverine origins, and the Hulk is just happens to be there. And that's really what it is at the end of the day. And yeah, I agree. The, the whole Bruce Banner sniveling kind of don't touch me kind of thing was just, uh, it was just like, dude, you're pathetic. But at the same time, Wolverine is just so headstrong that to the fact it's like, okay, you want to f around and find out, f around and find out. So, <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what he does, you know. And, and that's his story. Because th- the reason why I brought in Alpha Flight was the fact is Wolverine gets sent on this mission by uh, Ross. It's Thunderbolt Ross, who has been kind of on the on the hunt for Hulk. It seems like everybody's on the hunt for the Hulk. But um, and he's the one who enlists Wolverine. Like you know, I know you do the best of what you do. So it could have brought in more of the character of, of Thunderbolt Ross, having maybe contacts with the Canadian government, saying, "Okay, Wolverine is just not cutting it. Send in Alpha Flight." So that could have made that could have tied into it. Other than that, yeah, Stephen Blum is fine as Wolverine. The the kind of husky voice which we know and love. And I'm not sure whether he was the one who also. I don't think he did the uh, the '90s um wolverine but it's very it's very similar in tone and it works perfectly it was nice also to see of course logan with his uh yellow costume which is from alpha flight once again i don't think it was given to him by weapon x that was his that was his uh i think outer alpha flight costume but other than that i did like i did um i did appreciate that the other screaming match was kind of getting on my nerves and yes there were some fun little phrases i guess from wolverine here and there but other than that it was just Wolverine's origin stories, meeting up with his Weapon X uh, buddies, if you will, and that was that. So, not much meat when it came to these two particular characters. So, I guess then moving on, looking at our, at our, a little bit at our villains, we have a, a fair group here when it comes to Weapon X people. We have Nolan North of all people as Deadpool, Mark Ason as Sabretooth, Janice George once again as Lady Deathstrike, and Colin Murdoch as Omega Red. And Tom Kane as the professor. So, what did you make of our villains, Keith? Uh, they were so one-dimensional. They were just very much, we're here to kill stuff. And you're like, all right, cool. We don't don't know why they're here to kill stuff, but they're just here to kill stuff. And other than you know, people who know the origins of these four characters, two of them belong. Two of them have no business being here. And the fact that you have the Russian super soldier part of Weapon X, you're like, mm, that's wrong. Or Lady Deathstrike, who um, was um, a Reaver, I believe, or something to that effect. I can't remember anymore. But she has her own origins that were linked to something that Wolverine did in Japan. So I get why they're all chasing him, because other than, say, Deadpool, who is a mercenary and will just literally kill anybody for money, three of the four of them have you know, a history with him. So I get why Weapon H necessarily recruited them, but them all being in the same room together, I'm surprised they don't try to kill each other because, you know, just the history they have amongst themselves. So it just, you have to have a, a lot of hatred toward one person to not kill the other people you want to kill. So it's just, it's kind of interesting that they put those differences aside to be like, I'll kill you next week, but first, we're going to fuck this guy up. Like, okay. You're all like just stone cold sociopath killers but you're like man we'll team up for this reason like because we want to you know the hulk because again they hypothetically they know why weapon x is trying to get the Hulk. nobody else does other than the professor and he hasn't said you know diddly squat other than we're going to work on it or you know we're going to use him for other things and you're like oh okay that's fine like all right no big deal 
Like just yeah. very nonchalantly. Like I we need him for a project. Like is it a book report? Like what kind of project are you working on? Because you don't see it. Like if they were to again, if there's like months, weeks, whatever the case may be, and you see um weapon H, which is a character that gets introduced later in the, the early two thousands, then it would have been like, Oh, okay, this makes perfect sense. And then like you said, Alpha Flight comes in and breaks them all out, and you're like, oh, all right, now I see why. But, you know, that Weapon H didn't come out, I think, until like 2017 or something to that effect. So the one story was just too far before the other story, but it would have made some bit of sense just to be like, okay, this is why we have Hulk, and this is what we've been doing, and yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. So it, it could have been a really cool set up for this character but unfortunately i think there just wasn't they didn't have it at the time i don't think so either it really seemed like okay we're just gonna have random people who hate wolverine for some reason and just mm -hmm. have them in have them in together and heck maybe the professor was had a uh, science fair coming up he's like i want to bring the hulk to my science fair because mother is counting on me to do well i don't know but so uh, I, I, the thing was, I was kind of upset, I guess I could say, when the professor was killed, because I was kind of digging him. I mean, in the sense that I liked what Tom Kane brought to that character, in the sense that very sort of maniacal, mad professor, which, okay, we've seen a million times, but I was kind of liking that slimy attitude he just had in this. It's like seeing all these people as projects. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care if they have thoughts or feelings or whatever. To him, it's all science and just making things, you know, trying to create the ultimate weapon, if you will, which is literally the concept behind that. And no surprise, as they say, the the the, the lunatics take over the asylum, which is what happens here because uh, the professor gets murdered as well. It's like we don't want him either because he's like, okay, we're going to take care of Wolverine that tomorrow and then tomorrow never comes for the professor because he literally gets killed so I'm like, okay so now the uh, the lunatics have taken over the asylum and i will say this every time these clowns showed up on my screen i was like not these guys again right every time I, yeah i literally felt like hank pym whenever scott lang's crew shows up it's like no not these clowns i don't want them because they were just so weird and just so frustrating. Deadpool, I understand he is supposed to be irritating. So, mm -hmm. so job well done, Nolan North, because Deadpool was so irritating in this particular uh, um, episode of movie. Where I mean, you know, I as a reference to, should we say, live action stuff or, or on screen stuff? I have, of course, um, that we have, of course, the two Deadpool movies, and there he's irritating but funny. You know, you can enjoy him. And I believe we actually had the appearance of Deadpool on the 90s X-Men show here and there. Nothing too much, but there was something there. But he was just so, so irritating, which, as I said before, I get it's part of the character, but it was too much. Sabretooth, yeah, was pretty much regular Sabretooth who just wanted to, like you said, wanted to maul and murder people, etc. What I don't understand, why does Lady Deathstrike seem like she's having orgasms whenever she stabs Wolverine? I, yeah, that was a very weird, like, she had this, like, dominatrix thing going on, because every time she would, she did, like, this scream, moan thing, and I'm like, this is kind of weird. I, I agree with you. It was very, like, it, it almost, like, just kind of broke the, the whole, con like, the bubble of this, what's going on. Like, they're fighting over here, and she's moaning and groaning as she's slicing them up, and I'm like, what is going on over here? Like, this weird, like, softcore porn for you know the x-men especially uh, the first time she stabbed she literally um sinks her claws into wolverine's back right i guess it's almost the, the first time mm -hmm. you meet you literally see almost that her eyes roll in the back of her head she like literally is like looking like she's in ecstasy and I'm like yes that's just wrong that is not it's really really strange so i was kind of trying to wrap my head around that Omega Red, I guess, is pretty much just Omega Red. Obviously, he's like your, your, your Russian mutant who is who obviously gets a lot of flack from Deadpool because it seems like they're supposed to be the two that get the most get on each other's nerves the most. Because it seems like mm -hmm. Deadpool goes after Omega Red the most when it comes to our characters. But yeah, I mean, 
I he's a character that I've always appreciated, and I would like to see as a live action villain someday when we do get an a um an X Men movie because I think he he could be a very cool villain to have. But here he was just along for the ride. He's like, okay, we have we have Saber Two, we have Lady Deathstrike, we have Omega Red, and we got Deadpool. But they were just so darn annoying. And when they were finally taken off the board by Wolverine and by Hulk, I was like, yes, thank you. They can shut up. And I will also say, though, I did appreciate the post credit scene where you have Deadpool's like, I survived. And then you have the Hulk stomp on Squash him. Squash him. <laughs> and yep. off he goes. I love that. That was fantastic. That was pretty good. And you know, what's impressive is the fact that... Um, all of them have, well, I don't want to uh, Lady Deathstrike, but they all have a healing factor to a certain extent or are, you know, some, you know, indestructible, blah, 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 blah. Like Omega Red is sort of like Wolverine. He's damn near indestructible and he has a healing factor. So the fact that, you know, the only one who survives is UC Deadpool. You have no idea where the rest of the group is. Sabretooth got punted halfway across Canada and Wolverine landed next to him. So, like, clearly Sabretooth survived and Deadpool survived. And then the other two, you're kind of like, well, we'll let you guess. Yeah, I guess they're buried under all that concrete and glass that was the, the science building, I suppose. I, and, I and guess, because that was a lot have, of stuff. Yeah, they're going to have a hard time getting out of there. They're probably alive, but they're going to have a hard time getting out of there. Because I, from what I gathered, and I'm trying to remember whether this was in the comics as well, Lady Deathstrike, even if you rip her limbs off, they just come back together again because there's like some kind of magnetic thing going on. Is that what it is? She has nanites. So she, nanites, she's right. like a cyborg-ish type of character with nanites. That's why she was a um, whatever the one group is. The cyborgs from Logan. You remember the movie Logan? That cyborg group. She's one of those. Yeah. And and just I for the life of me, I'm drawing the blank on the name of this group. But yeah, she has been enhanced cybernetically, so she will theoretically repair herself eventually, unless like you threw one arm way the hell over one area and the arm way the hell over the other area. So yeah, yeah. So it's no just facts. Go ahead. That kind of scenario. No, it's just that scenario where it's just I don't know. Like theoretically, they all should be able to survive this kind of a um, beating. Yeah, I think I think so too. I mean, that was that was just the most satisfying part of the of the movie was just that we're finally rid of these people because it was just like really getting too much, and it was just I don't know. I was just groaning every time I saw them. So I'm like, no, I'm not enjoying these these villains whatsoever. So they're cool characters in their own right if they are done right. So that was kind of what was what was annoying me was why do we have to have all these people in here? But I guess they had to have. A reason, if you will, for Wolverine and Hulk to somewhat work together, even though they don't, they don't really work together. Because once most of them are off the board, Hulk, of course, turns on Wolverine again. And Wolverine's like, what the hell? I thought we were working together. Why are you working together? You never work anything. Why should you be working together? Not to mention the Hulk is still mad at you for, for poking the bear earlier. So why, Wolverine, would you think you were together? It, I mean, I get... The enemy of my enemy is my friend, but still, Wolverine can't expect Hulk to say, "Okay, we're in this together. Let's fight." Plus, this is more of the mindless Hulk. So anybody he sees, he's going to attack. Correct. Yeah, it, this is the the young. You know, I'm not going to say this is the freshly formed Hulk or like you know, um, right after the accident. But this seems like it's early on in the Hulk career where he has less control. So that would make sense that he's more the blind rage Hulk. Oh, yeah. And then not to mention the explosions that he is submitted to and everything else, even even the Deadpool's kind of patting himself on the back when he you know kind of shoots him. He's like, I've done this. And Wolverine literally says very wisely, you've only made him madder. And that's exactly what, what the situation was. And I, I will also add um, that I did find it kind of hilarious when you see Deadpool trying to put his arm back together again. Yes, he grabs all the bits and pieces and he's like, no, 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 no. And he slams him back together again and he heals. And they they definitely tapped into that one several times because again, with Lady Deathstrike, they ripped her arms off two or three different times, and she then reattaches them. So I, that was kind of almost like the running gag. They're like we don't know what to do. Cut their arms off, okay? Because <laughs> you know Wolverine has these indestructible claws, and 
at this point, Deadpool doesn't have any of those types of abilities. He just has the ridiculous regeneration. So he just has silly regeneration. Sabretooth has ridiculous regeneration. Deathstrike, she has the cybernetic enhancements, adamantium bones, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. She is more on par with Wolverine. And you would have thought she'd last longer, considering she's supposed to be almost like the perfect yin to his yang. But yet she gets her butt beat pretty quickly. Yeah, in fact, because I, I, I have to actually ask here, when it comes to Deadpool, did he have, I mean, I get it was made for more comedic reasons, but did he actually have to pick up his arm and put it back on? Wouldn't he be able to just regenerate another arm? In theory, yes, he would be able to regenerate. It's just, a, I, I think, like you were saying, it was the, the comedy relief. It's just the joke where he's like, no, 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 he's like grabbing all the bits and pieces and slapping it back together again. But yeah, hypothetically, he should regrow an arm. But how long it would take? I have no idea. So, like half the movie, he would be running around with a stump and this little arm kind of growing out, like sprouting like a plant, which actually probably would have been funny to see too. Him with like a little, like in the movie, a little baby hand trying to hold a gun and he's just mad that he can't hold a gun. I would have paid to see that because that would have kind of helped the comedy relief of him just because for no other reason that he really didn't do much in the story other than piss the Hulk off shoot the Hulk with a bunch of tranquilizers and make dumb comments that didn't really land so much. And like you said, pick on Omega. Yeah, that was pretty much his, his deal. Yeah, I mean, I could have actually seen, like you said, <laughs> Deadpool running around with like a little stump going like, any day now, any day now, something like right, that. Right, exactly. Like just forcing, right. he's like, come on, come on. He's like, like watching his arm grow, something like that would totally have been better suited for this character. Yeah, and plus you're doing animation, so you can pretty much go wild when it comes to the effects and what have you. So, uh, so that would have worked. But as I mentioned before, I guess it was for for, for comedic purposes. Hmm. So, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to to mention when it came to this second uh, chapter of Hulk versus? No, just that there was definitely a lot of missed opportunity with this story, more so than the first one with Thor and Hulk. I, I think they they could have open the door to all these characters that they just that we haven't seen in the universe before. Exactly. So I guess, I guess we'll see where we go from here. So when it comes to rating this one, what do you give this one, Keith? <sighs> Sadly, it's not going to score quite as high as um, the other one. I'll, I think I'm going to, I'm going to give it a six and a half just because the story was so thin. There's very barren and there's way too much yelling. I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm going give, to give it a six out of 10 as well. I will give it a passing grade. So at least it does pass because there were moments which I did appreciate to a certain degree. But yes, it definitely fell rather short compared to, to the, our first chapter, if you will. So, you know, looking at these two stories, you know, Hulk versus Thor and Hulk versus Wolverine, when it comes to recommendations, what would you recommend to our listeners? Um, I would definitely, if you liked either one of these, I would look at the uh, Wolverine, the X-Men cartoon or um, X-Men Evolution, which were late 90s, early 1000s cartoons, the Avengers had actually a very good run there for a while they had five or six seasons the different avengers stories and those kind of pull in some of the the voice actors of these so i think those would be good fits i would definitely check out the ultimate uh wolverine x next year, try this again i would definitely check out the ultimate uh hulk versus wolverine just because you do again get to see the whole literally rip Wolverine in half and it's just it's like one of those things when you see it, you're like oh that that actually makes weirdly perfect sense because again his bones are unbreakable but not the ligaments excellent recommendations there and uh and I'm definitely going to um uh endorse those for sure some some great great choices indeed um so I guess then uh, moving on but of course uh, we if you, folks if you do want to weigh in on the movies we discuss here and you share your thoughts on those you can do so by shooting us an email in either audio or written form to happiness and darkness how at gmail.com once again that email is happiness and darkness how at gmail.com feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook where you'll find us happiness and darkness follow us on Twitter aka X where we're at high darkness pod. Also, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review as this helps the show grow 
and allows us to continue to bring you the podcast you deserve. So, uh, Keith, when you're not here discussing such things as Hulk versus, where can folks find you on the vast interwebs? On the, on the all the socials, uh, I am on Facebook. You can you know reach out to me on our Happiness and Darkness page. I am always ready, willing, and able to uh, jump into a conversation about anything comic books, movies, TV shows, heck, anything relatively related to comic books. So I'm always for it. I am also on a, another podcast, which Shock talks about comic books, uh, first appearances, uh, overarching stories. Because again, I like comic books. Uh, that is called The Hour of Comics is Upon Us. That is with a mutual friend of ours, John Seymour and Jason Gurin. Uh, we have just recently recorded an episode. We are looking to plan our next couple. I think we're doing finally doing my Shazam episode that I've been trying to get them to, to record. We're also doing a first appearance of uh, Joker, and I believe we have a couple other ones planned out. So definitely be on the lookout for those. Fabulous stuff. Well, folks, definitely be sure to check out The Hour of Comics is Upon Us. This is a fantastic and very entertaining podcast indeed. When it comes to me, you can find me at my day job where I host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. More about that and where to do you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing all the best picture winners in chronological order. We recently reviewed uh, The Artist, and coming up uh, next week, we will be taking on Argo, of course, the Ben Affleck-directed movie. And also, uh, coming back next month will be The Fandom Zone with myself and Charles Skaggs, where we will be reviewing the second season of Loki. And definitely very, very curious to see how that pans out. And speed things to come on this show, next time we'll be heading back to DC territory as we'll be taking on the 2003 Kurt Jeda film, Batman, Mystery of the Batwoman. So, Keith, anything else you would like to add before we sign off? No, just, you know, everybody keep checking us out, sending us fee feedback email. I always enjoy our listening to our um, listeners. Hearing from, there you go, hearing from our listeners and, you know, getting to meet them and talk to them more. Fabulous stuff. Well, folks, uh, thanks as always for this show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Batman Mystery of the Batwoman. Until then, thank you for the privilege of your time. Stay super. Ciao.